0: Welcome to uh, the Starting Strength Channel. This is episode two. We are still working out the bugs. So, once again, you'll just have to bear with me if things are less than perfect. We are coming to you this time from our studios in Costillo County, Colorado. And uh, if it starts to rain, you'll probably hear it on this microphone. What I thought I'd talk about this week was uh, a topic that we ad- address pretty regularly at our seminars, and it's an extremely basic thing, and I've written about this quite a bit, uh, big article on uh, T Nation about this, and we talk about it online all the time, is uh, the topic of training versus exercise. The two are completely different, and it's important to uh, understand the difference in the two because they're conducted in different ways, and the fact that they are different has uh, a lot of interesting implications in terms of uh, what the literature tells us and does not tell us, so uh, first off, exercise. let um, It's a it's an, a a term that is uh, that is used specifically to, to denote a particular exercise, like the squat or the deadlift. But in general, the term exercise has a has a different meaning than the term training. When you exercise. <clears throat> the the way the ACSM wants you to do or the way uh most of the alphabet organizations that certify personal trainers talk about the way you the way you move around in the gym with a personal trainer most of the time unless they're more competent than most of them are is uh, is exercise it is it is physical activity done for the specific purpose of making you feel a certain way during the workout Or after the workout. It is about what happens today. Exercise is about. The changes. The short term changes. That take place in the body. During the course of the workout. And the feeling that you get after the workout. And for most people. Exercise is perfectly sufficient. For uh, people needing to lose some weight. People just. You know 50 year old people. That just want to get active again. Exercise is really all they're talking about. And in our books and in our seminars, we don't really deal with exercise in that sense. We deal with, with training. Training is different. Training is a process through which a person puts themselves in order to generate a specific adaptation, a physical outcome, through a certain amount of time. It is, it is designed to produce a certain adaptation. Training, therefore, is predicated on your having a goal in mind for performance. Whether it be strength or finishing a marathon, these two different goals demand a completely different type of adaptation. And as a result, training for those two disparate goals uh, means that the processes will be fundamentally different. The processes in training are dictated by the desired outcome of the training. And this is obviously quite a bit different from exercise because in exercise, the desired outcome is how I feel after 45 minutes or an hour or however long the appointment or the class is. Now, this is a this is a, a terribly important distinction to make. Exercise is anything you want it to be today that gets you hot and sweaty. Uh, or tired, or fatigued, or just, you know, challenges uh, your physical capacity over the short term. Training is a completely different situation. Training is planned. It's not random. It can't be random. It must be goal-oriented. We had to have, at some point, articulated a goal for training. Training must be outcome-based, and it is adjusted uh, over the course of the, over the process based on uh, the proximity to that outcome. In other words, we don't start and do exactly the same thing, same things we start with at the end of the process. The weight goes up, volume goes up, intensity goes up. Some aspect of this, of this process must continually drive further adaptation. Now, for completely untrained individuals, that's an extremely simple process, and we call it our novice process, our novice linear progression, where we just come in and we we pick about six different basic exercises, and we go up in weight on each one of them every time we do them. Uh, it's not very complicated in terms of the of the number of exercises. Uh, we select basic exercises that that produce a systemic effect over the whole body, and our variable is therefore not exercise selection it is load load intensity time between sets these types of variables that are manipulated within the context of those six exercises so training is outcome based because in a training workout you may not feel you know like you've done anything hard necessarily or you may be completely destroyed it doesn't it, what matters is is what the program calls for and that you get it done today so training requires it requires focus. It uh, it requires that you be committed to these things that you know are going to facilitate the process of adaptation over time. And uh, well, a good example of that is uh, the training program we call the Texas method. Texas method is uh, is an extremely brutal type of workout system that. We use for intermediate trainees, people who have finished the linear process of easy novice gains. the uh, The Texas method is uh, uh, very famous for its Monday, first day of the week, the volume day, where we do five sets of five across on, on the squat. And by the time a person gets up to doing the Texas method, those those squats will be up in the in the area of at least the middle 300s. So we're talking about 365 for five sets of five. For a guy just starting off the Texas method, he'll follow that up with, uh, depending on the version of it, he's using the, the bench press for five sets of five or the press for five sets of five. And then one heavy set of five deadlifts. Now this is only 11 work sets. This is only 11 work sets on three exercises. But the most common complaint we have About the Texas Method is that it's very, very hard. It's, it, it, it murders you. It just kills your ass. And it's a, it's a hard workout. But think again, 11 work sets is all it is, three exercises. Now contrast this with the types of exercise type workouts that are, that are popular amongst various. Uh, physical therapists pretending to be strength coaches, 15, 20 exercises. 15, 20 exercises done at the level of intensity that the Texas method employs is physically impossible. Now, what does that mean about the intensity of a 20 different exercise workout? Well, it, it means, obviously, that the intensity is very low, and if the intensity is low, how much capacity does that type of workout have to drive training progress, to drive a strength improvement? Can low amounts of force production drive a force production adaptation upward? And the obvious answer is no, it can't. There, there's no more stark contrast to what we do as opposed to what exercise all boils down to. It is a, uh, a requirement of workouts that employ 20 different exercises that the intensity and potential for driving progress on each one of those individual exercises be low. Low intensity does not improve strength production unless you are a novice and in which case it is much better to pick your six simple exercises you're going to do throughout the novice progression and make them go up every time. So Exercise and training are two fundamentally different different things. I'm you can hear my notes messing around here. I'm trying to stay organized today and keep this down below forty-five minutes. When when we talk about strength training, we are specifically talking about the process by which we get stronger. Now marathon training would also be training too. I mentioned this earlier. The process of developing the ability to run 26.2 without stopping is, uh, is obviously training as well, but it's a different type of, of adaptation. When we, when we do strength training, we are obviously trying to develop the ability to produce more force against an external resistance, since that's the, the definition of strength. Force production against an external resistance is, is strength. And in order to do that, we have to produce more force in the course of the training program. These force increases must be scheduled, they must be programmed, and they must occur if the adaptation is to be obtained. If they don't occur, in other words, if you don't make your numbers today, then you are not going to improve and you're not going to get any stronger. You know, we'll talk about why strength is such an important thing at some other time. We've discussed that so often, it's kind of a tired topic, but Perhaps it it bears a bit of discussion at some point later, but uh, strength training is the process of making yourself stronger by subjecting yourself to the production of force against heavier and heavier weights. And that's probably the simplest definition of strength training. Exercise, in contrast, is what? It's, It's the process of getting hot and sweaty, moving around, burning some calories, getting some activity, laudable goals for a sedentary person but not what we deal with here. We deal with training processes and the, uh, the process of, over time, driving that adaptation that we're trying to obtain. Here's, a, here's an interesting question that we've been thinking about. Exercise science is what? Exercise science, well, if you'll think about it, the name says it all. One of the problems with the, science, the exercise science literature is that, in the most literal sense possible, it only deals with exercise. It does not deal with training. Why does it not deal with training? Because, really, it can't. The process of uh, doing controlled studies in the topic of physical exercise does not really lend itself to populations that train. Populations that train are in the middle of a process at all times designed to improve their performance on whatever parameter they've selected. And a controlled, randomized study doesn't really lend itself to this type of a, of a subject. Who do we do exercise science studies on? You know, uh, untrained college people generally. Generally speaking, sometimes we do studies on older populations. At no time do we do studies that uh, closely follow the process of training, a process which takes years and years and years. And as a result of this, how much input can the exercise science literature have into the process of training? And the, uh, the answer to that is, is not much at all. Not much at all, even though we uh, we have uh, access to all of this this literature, <clears throat> quite a bit of exercise science literature has been ac- been accumulated over the past thirty years. none of it really deals with training, and as a result, we can't really uh, rely on exercise science to provide us with information that's relevant to the process of strength training as a, as a process, as a process that takes years and years and years. Where do we obtain that type of information? We obtain it from the experiences of people who have done it and the experiences of people who have managed the process for lots and lots of athletes over a long period of time. This is the type of data that is not, you know, it doesn't lend itself well to to these types of of, uh, of controlled experiments because they're so long term, and they are um, oftentimes done on uh, two or three people at a time. That things that would normally be con- considered to compromise the uh, the quality of a data set by virtue of the fact that. It doesn't have a population of ten thousand. The acquisition of the information doesn't lend itself well to the to the methods that are conventionally employed in peer reviewed scientific studies. And this has a couple of interesting implications, doesn't it? The the implication that is most immediately that most immediately presents itself is who are the people doing these, these controlled studies? Are they experienced coaches? that have the, um, the background and the personal experience to ask the right questions, even if these types of studies were capable of being conducted on controlled populations of large numbers of people? And the answer, of course, is no. We are dealing with, therefore, a different type of data when we deal with, with, with the information available to us about training. We're dealing with the type of data that does not lend itself to being published in a table, uh, published in a peer-reviewed journal, reviewed by other people that don't really understand this process. And uh, as a result, the exercise science really does not speak to, uh, uh, too specifically to training. Where do we get information about training? Where, where do we turn if we want to, to talk about uh, resources uh, that we must uh, utilize for, for training? Well, the most important thing uh, I think that you can do is to develop a broad base of knowledge of the scientific method. And this is obtained from a, from a background in, in school, an educational background in science. The science doesn't have to be, in fact, it's probably better if it's not, exercise physiology or those types of non-rigorous degrees that are pursued uh, in physical education departments all over the country. A biology degree is much more applicable to getting a background, to obtaining a background to, to, to think about the physiology of exercise. Exercise physiology classes are not themselves very rigorous in this in this way, and that's of course in most schools. There are there are notable exceptions around the country, and if you're running one, don't be mad at me. If you're running one, you're quite aware of the fact that, that what I'm saying about other types of programs is true, and uh, as a result, those types of degrees are not terribly useful in terms of becoming a uh, a good coach for strength training the vast majority of of graduates with an exercise physiology degree have had absolutely no formal training in barbell exercise and barbell exercise of course is obviously the most efficient way to obtain strength but what other types of of sources uh, do we use if we want to become better coaches and better at training people how do we get better at training people well you have to in addition to this educational background in the hard sciences and scientific logical thought, uh, be familiar with the with the basic processes that that govern the adaptation that we're trying to drive. You need to understand physiology. This is why a, a biology degree would be a very good place to start. It's not absolutely necessary. My degree is in geology. You know, those of us that are relatively intelligent and are willing to read can educate ourselves quite effectively in these topics an inadequate education in these topics might lull one into the belief that you already know enough about the subject since you have a after all an exercise physiology degree I'd uh, it's kind of an inane thought ignore that you're smarter than that you know you need to continue your education the, uh, the rest of it would come from an education in just basic sciences. Chemistry, physics, this sort of thing is, uh, is the foundation for thinking correctly about all things that are scientific. You have just a nice broad science background is extremely important. The second thing that, that would be required of a coach, an effective coach of strength training, is the personal experience of having gone through the process of getting strong themselves the personal experience that is invaluable in teaching you the fundamentals of adaptation how did it actually work your own personal experience is probably the most important aspect of your ability to coach others in these in these processes because without a personal experience of how actually it worked, you will have absolutely no idea of what the person you're attempting to train is going through at any given time. And this type of thing is extremely valuable. The understanding that in the Texas method, five sets is just the right amount. And there's a real good reason why we don't do seven sets. That comes from you having done it. The, uh, things that sound good on paper, but in fact are not, are the things that you sort out with your own experience in terms of, of, of applying this process to yourself. The, uh, the most relevant, uh, physical specimen to you is you and your own experience in these matters is, uh, is terribly, terribly important in terms of, uh, The ability to translate these principles into effective coaching for other people. And, uh, you know, beyond that, you have to coach. You have to coach people. You have to coach a lot of people. You have to watch what happens to them. You have to write this down. Training logs are our data. Training logs that are generated from the efforts of yourself and the people you train form our data set. That data set is a different type of data set than that generated in a double-blind controlled study. It is nonetheless data. It is empirical data. It is not anecdotal in the sense that the word is typically used. It is empirical data. Uh, it is just generated in a completely different way than that generated in a controlled double-blind study. That doesn't mean that it's any less valuable. What, in fact, it means is that it is the only type of data that we have available to us for learning about training, not exercise. And this is an extremely important point to, to understand. We are dealing with data in the same way that... Uh, Epidemiologists deal with data. It is just a different type of data. It is nonetheless data. Uh, in, in fact, it's it's hard won data because we have to fight for it every single time we go under the bar, or every single time we put somebody else under the bar and obtain through the process of generating more force every time we train and obtain that strength training adaptation that we're trying to learn how best to obtain for other people. These types of things are extremely important to understand, and it it, it is all tied back into the, into the extremely basic difference between exercise and training. What do you want to get accomplished? If all you need to do today is go in after work, get hot and sweaty, lay down on the floor, act like you're gassed, stand up, go take a shower, and go home, then exercise is just fine but if what you're trying to do is obtain an adaptation specific to a performance goal whether it is 26.2 or a 500 squat then the process of obtaining that adaptation is training it must be planned it must be very carefully analyzed as it is occurring to see that we're doing it correctly see if we need to make any adjustments to it but That process is what we're concerned with, not the individual workouts that compose the totality of that process. And uh, I think it's very important for everyone to think about the differences between exercise and training when you go into the weight room, get your money's worth out of your gym dues. We'll think of uh, other things to expand upon in this direction in later podcasts. For the time being, we sure do appreciate you joining us today on the Starting Strength channel. Bye.